This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. Today we're going to talk about character, very specifically the, the kind of character that develops in us and we are committed to the wisdom that points us to honesty, to, to be committed to the truth and integrity of a truth that, that permeates all of our lives, not something that we choose to do occasionally, but something that would be consistent. This idea of being, being committed to honesty, of, of doing what's right and just, is, is embedded throughout the book of Proverbs. In fact, even in the opening uh, phrases of the book, the explanation of the purpose of Proverbs, Solomon wrote this into his message beginning in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. Here's what he says, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. Right from the beginning, Solomon was clear about his intentions for the Proverbs, that we would learn from his experience, we would learn from his wisdom and, and grow, develop ourselves to gain not only instruction and understanding, but to develop the character that would reflect the image of, of God, that we would learn through that insight, learn about prudent behavior, that, that restraint that, that we understand of, of prudence, of being careful in our dealings with others, especially in terms of business and finance, that we would learn to do what is right and just and fair, more than just a standard for us to strive for, a reflection of the nature of God, the perfection of God in his justice. And that's really what, what we learn to develop as we grow and develop our character, that we're striving to be a representation of God in the world around us. Now, usually when we think about becoming a reflection of God, we think about God's love that we, that we use to care for other people and demonstrate God's love in the world. But it's important also for us to think about about living honest lives, about reflecting the character and quality of God, of, of truth, of, of rightness, of justice and fairness, of living a very consistent example of, of who God is through our lives, seeing a responsibility that every one of us who bears the name of Christian, every one of us who claims a relationship with the Lord, would, would then reflect his, his character and quality in the world, that we would not only live knowing that people are watching us, evaluating our lives, gaining a, an opinion about who we are, that's a reputation, but also that we would, that we would honor the reputation of God through our lives, that we would, we would be a representation of him in the world around us. As we think about reputation, we recognize that honesty builds a good reputation. And if we're honest, we know that, that people around us are always evaluating, always thinking about who we are, always developing their, their perspective on who we are. And we are providing for them the evidence for that reputation, either a positive reputation or a negative reputation. When we're honest, we work towards a good reputation. But honesty includes the things that we say, the, the, the commitment to, to say things that are true. But it's more than words. It, it, it shows up in our actions. And when we live honest lives, we know that we need to be above reproach especially in regard to money. In the book of Proverbs, uh, in the 16th proverb, we read the, the wisdom of honest dealings. Beginning verse 11 says this, Honest scales and balances belong to the Lord. 
All the weights in the bag are of his making. Kings detest wrongdoing, for a throne is established through righteousness. Kings take pleasure in honest lips. They value the one who speaks what is right. Now, in the days of Solomon, honest scales were a true test of integrity. Many of the financial transactions in the marketplace were based off of the weight of things that were for sale. A merchant with dishonest scales would, would use that knowledge to cheat people out of money. They would shave their weights so that a, a pound weight would actually be less than a pound. They would, they would load their weights so that, that that little weight that said one pound would weigh more than a pound. And then they could use those, those dishonest weights and pay less for the things that they were buying, charge more for the things that they were selling. You know, that happens in the world today as well. We make our transactions based off of weight, off of volume measurements. And we don't, we don't carry scales with us into the grocery store, but when we pick up an item off the shelf, stamped at the bottom is how much it weighs. And we make our purchases based off our confidence in the manufacturer to put an accurate weight on that packaging. There's a lot of trust involved. There's a, there's a regulatory department in the government that, that oversees all of those weights and measures, Department of Weights and Measures. At the church in Kentucky that I, that, where I served before coming to Parkview, one of the secretaries there had been employed by the Department of Weights and Measures. It was her job to drive around to gas stations, dispense a gallon of gasoline into a container and make sure that it was actually a gallon of gasoline. And if it wasn't, if it was under a gallon or over a gallon, they would make adjustments to the pumps and then place a seal on that pump. Maybe if you've been at the gas station, you've seen that sticker on the side of a pump uh, validating the authenticity of the measurement. She told me about a, a famous ketchup company that was found out they were underfilling their ketchup bottles. Maybe you wouldn't think about when you buy a bottle of ketchup, that it looks a little lower than the rest and find one that looks a little far. I mean, ketchup doesn't settle like potato chips, so you, know, you expect when a ketchup bottle says 28 ounces of ketchup, it's actually going to be there. But they were found to be underfilling their ketchup bottles, sometimes even as much as an ounce and a half. And, you know, most people, when they buy a bottle of ketchup, aren't going aren't to mind if it's a little full or a little less. But imagine for that company, in the millions of bottles of ketchup they produce, tens of thousands of gallons of ketchup they were charging their customers for and not giving them the product. And so they were, they were required to overfill their ketchup bottles for a certain number of months to make restitution for their deception. It's important for us to think in terms of honesty, especially in terms of our transactions our financial transactions, to, to live above board, to be right and just and fair. A few years ago, I would have suggested to you that when you go to the grocery store, when you, when you check out and you are leaving, that if you find that the change the cashier gave you is wrong, you would go back and, and, and make that right. Now, most people will go back and say, hey, I, you owe me more money than you gave me. There's, there's an error here. But how many people are willing to go back into the grocery store and say, hey, there were $2 bills stuck together. You gave me too much change. I want to make sure that you're your register drawer, when they count it tonight, is, is even. Here you go. It, it's a surprising thing to actually do that. Maybe when you go through the checkout line and there's an item in the bottom of your cart that you overlook and you get out to the, the car and you're loading your things and you go, oh no, I didn't pay for that. 
when you go back in and have to explain to the, the greeter at the door, I, I didn't see that. I forgot that I put it there. I need to go back through the line and pay for this item. It's important for us to be faithful in the small things, to live our lives with this sense of, of rightness, of justice, and fairness. Today, much of our purchasing is moved to credit cards, digital transactions, online purchases. Maybe you're even paying through your apps. You're not even using real money. We still have an opportunity to be consistently honest in the area of finance. There's a, there's a, a written exam every year that will test your, your honesty in the terms of finance when you turn in your income taxes in April. Honesty requires of us that we do what is right and just and fair when we interact with others. Not, not even just in the terms of finance, but also in the way that we interact with other people in, in terms of the, the games that we play. Many of us have a very competitive streak and we, we truly want to prove our worth, but the games we play become a proving ground of our honesty. It's tempting to want to gain an edge by cutting corners, hoping the other players, the other teams won't notice that you've got a little bit of an advantage. But it's important for us to be honest in all things, to develop that kind of reputation that people can trust us. When we were first married, my wife and I played uh, board games, and one of the games we played was called Upwards. I don't know if you've ever played Upwards. It's like Scrabble, except you can, you can place letters on top of other letters and stack them up. And so when somebody plays a word, you can change the vowel and get points for the whole new word that you created just by changing one letter. It's a, it's a unique twist on the game. There's also a rule that if you have letters in your hand that you don't like, instead of playing a word, you can discard a bad letter and get a new one. So we started our game of, of upwards, and my wife played her word, and then you know, she used up four tiles and said, oh, will you hand me four more tiles? So I grabbed the bag of, of letters for her to choose from. She said, no, 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 just, just take four, four letters out of there and hand them to me. I don't want to root through the bag. Just, just hand them to me. I said, okay. So when it was my turn, I discarded a, a Z, and I put it in, in the front of the bag and reached in to grab another letter. And in the course of the game, when she would need letters, I would pick up my discards with the letters I was giving her and hand them to her. And she would say, I got another Z. How did I get another Z? My luck must just be horrible. A Q? What? Why am I getting so many bad letters? I thought it was hilarious. And I told her what was going on, and we, you know, we ended that game and started a new one. Didn't count the score from that one. <laughs> Think about what I risked for a joke. Now, this is something very small. Something I thought was hilarious. But as a young married couple, I was risking my reputation with my wife to get a laugh. I was eroding her trust in me that potentially she could then, from, from that experience, question my words, question my behavior, have less of a reason to trust me in many things because of this one small thing. That's, that's why it's so important for us to be consistently honest in the way that we interact with others, to build a reputation of trust, that, that people can, can know that they can depend on us. It 
Developing a positive reputation takes time. It takes consistent behavior. Sometimes it takes years to build a positive reputation. You know how long it takes to destroy a good reputation? A moment. One argument. One slight. One misstep. And a relationship is destroyed. Now you, you can right that wrong. You can make an apology and rebuild your reputation. But it's important for us to remember that while we've been working to build a, a strong reputation, in that moment when we damage our reputation and, and make amends, our reputation doesn't go back to where it was and continue to grow. Very often we have to start over, rebuilding our reputation. And we have to understand that it's going to take more time. It's going to take more consistent behavior to build trust. And while it's frustrating to have people question us after a failure, it's a part of the process. It's what we brought on ourselves in that moment. We have to understand that, that building trust is a long process and we have to be consistent and be patient redeveloping that positive reputation again. That's why it's so important for us to, to allow these words of wisdom to make an impact in our lives, that we would be willing to live according to the standard that God provides to us, based on the unchangeable truth of his word, that we would be unbending, unmoving, unyielding in our commitment to represent him well and to represent ourselves well, that we would be committed to that sense of reputation. And understand that, that that reputation grows and decreases through our relationships. And every moment that we can treat people fairly and speak honestly to them is a moment that we focus on those relationships. And when we, when we want to build a relationship, whether that's uh, growing our reputation or, or rebuilding a reputation with someone that we have wronged, we know that that process of, of strengthening relationships comes through honesty. It's honesty that strengthens relationships through trust. Proverbs 12, beginning verse 17, says this, an honest witness tells the truth, but a false witness tells lies. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. Deceit is in the hearts of those who plot evil, but those who promote peace have joy. No harm overtakes the righteous, but the wicked have their fill of trouble. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. The prudent keep their knowledge to themselves, but a fool's heart blurts out folly. An honest witness tells the truth. Now, there aren't, there aren't many opportunities for us to be called into court and, and bear witness for another person. I, don't, I have never had that opportunity. Maybe you have. I, th those moments are few and far between. But we do bear witness for people around us on a daily basis. Sometimes it's uh, simply a matter of, of ending an argument or dispute. And while two people are, are debating what happened, they look at you and say, you were there. Tell us what happened. Maybe those moments of bearing witness come with a more significant request. When a, when a coworker asks you to cover for them, I need to cut out early. Can you tell the boss I was still here? Can you, can you punch my card on the way out so it looks like I stayed? 
I had, I had a quota that I was supposed to meet this month, and I fell short, but I'm, I, I'm going to write the numbers in so that the boss thinks that I met that quota. Those are difficult moments where we feel pressure to bend, pressure to break that commitment to honesty. And it's a difficult decision to make because of the person that we want to, to develop a relationship with, asking us to do them a favor. And, and, and we're torn between the idea of, of helping someone, caring for someone, and, and the, the commitment to this standard of honesty and the reputation that we have and the image that we bear of the Lord and the world around us. And, and it's a difficult moment to decide what to do. But let's think about the implications of that decision. Sure, in the moment, that might strengthen your, your relationship with a person who's asking you to do a favor for them. It might mean that they owe you a favor in the future. And momentarily, that might seem like a good decision, but let's, let's play this out beyond the moment. Let's think long-term about what the effects of this decision will be. That that person who's asking you to lie for them, while it might get them out of trouble here and now, that decision then changes your relationship. And for the sake of a favor, they now see you differently. Oh, that was, you really were convincing the way that you lied for me. I wonder if you've been lying to me. I wonder if I can trust all the things that you've said to me in the past. And now your relationship has changed because they can't trust your word. And what happens when the boss comes to actually ask about where that person was at the end of the day or the fact that they've looked at the results at the end of the month and the numbers aren't true and there's an error somewhere and they ask you if your numbers are correct and they ask about the numbers of your coworker and you are caught in a lie. You've not only risked your reputation in the workplace, you might even have risked your job. It's a difficult moment because of the pressure we feel. Not an easy conversation to have to say, I can't lie for you. I choose not to lie for you. I'm living for something that I feel is more important than that, and I don't feel that this actually would be beneficial for you in the long run. You can offer to help them. You can offer to resolve their situation in another way. But it's important for us to be consistent in the way that we stand for truth. Now, you, as a warning, if you say to someone who's asking for a favor that you're not going to lie for them, you better make sure that in every other aspect of your life, you're being fair and right and true and honest. Because if you say to them, no, I can't lie for you, and you see, they see you bending the rules in another area, that will be incredibly detrimental to your relationship and your reputation. Our lives must consistently reflect truth and be committed to honesty. Jesus, when he was speaking to a crowd that had many disciples uh, there, reminded them of how important it is to have a strong reputation. He said to them, don't, don't, don't swear by anything greater than yourselves. When you make a promise, when you're trying to convince somebody you're telling the truth, don't call on the name of the Lord. Don't, don't swear by a, a dead relative. Just say yes or just say no. And in the book of James, chapter 5, he reinforces that message of letting your yes be yes and your no be no, that when you call down these, these greater promises to convince people that you're telling the truth, 
There, there are consequences involved with that. And what we need to do instead of desperately trying to get people to believe us is to live a life that gives evidence to the fact that we can be trusted. That when we say yes, we, we actually do what we say that we're going to do. When we say no, I can't do that. People won't find us doing those things anyway. That we would consistently live according to the words that we say. Now this idea of lying presents a very strong temptation in our lives. And in the way that we have a, a written test for our finances, the, the test we have in terms of honesty in the way that we speak is a test that happens every day. It's a pop quiz, verbal. Hey, what about this? Where were you? What were you doing? We have momentary decisions to live in faithfulness each and every day, to choose our words carefully, to live honestly, and to demonstrate to people that we can be trusted and that, and that the God we serve can also be trusted. And yet we struggle with this idea of deception, with white lies that aren't really hurting anybody, with, with shades of truth, with misdirection when we say one thing but mean another, with manipulating people to get what we want, with giving people part of the truth but not all of the truth. We struggle so significantly in this area of honesty, and I believe that's rooted in the way that we see ourselves, that our inability to be completely honest comes ultimately from a lack of self-esteem. That we, we get so focused on our faults and failures. We get so focused on the weaknesses that we see within ourselves that we desperately try to get people to believe that we are something better than we truly are. And we present this image, this facade, this false ideal of what we want people to believe about us. And then we live and speak and act trying to convince people that that's true. And it affects us. It affects the way that we talk. It affects the things that we do. And we spend so much time hiding our faults and failures, minimizing the wrong that we do, minimizing the things that we can't, and highlighting all the things that we can, highlighting the things that we would, would hope to be able to become. And we develop this sense of self that requires a web of lies to maintain. And once we make that statement, then we have to think about all the other things that we're doing and saying to support that image. And we get wrapped up in this habit, in this addiction of lying to people to convince them about something that isn't true. Maybe we, we begin those lies because we want to avoid conflict or punishment. Maybe we begin those lies because of loneliness and we desperately want a relationship. Maybe we begin those lies because we just can't stand the idea of who we truly are. And we do. And we find ourselves caught. And we find ourselves trapped, damaging our relationships, hurting people, because we just can't seem to be completely honest with them. We can't seem to, to cope with reality. And we have to face reality. And the truth that we have to accept to overcome this image is that we are created by God. In the image of God himself. And in this world, we bear his image. In him, we find purpose. In him, we find meaning and value. In him, we find a solution to all the things inside of us that we don't like. 
And the image of God that we bear in this world is an image of truth because God is true. When we lie, we push back from God. We, we create distance in our relationship with that sin. And not only are we pushing back from the presence of God, we're pushing back from the very nature of God and the image that he's placed in us. The cycle of lies breaks down our relationships with people. It also breaks down our relationship with God as we're minimizing our faults and failures, as we're, as we're explaining away all the things that we, we can't or don't or won't. We also have a way of minimizing and explaining away sin of ignoring the fact that it's there, of convincing ourselves that we're better, that, 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 that this image of what we hope to become is, is true and real. And as we're living in that, in that false reality, we're not dealing with the things that are coming between us and God. In order to be completely honest, we have to be completely honest with ourselves, acknowledging the sin that's present in our lives and surrendering it to the Lord. Uh, of, of being willing to, to open our hearts and acknowledge the ugliness of what's there and, and to, to repent of those things to the Lord and turn away from them and live a life in Him. For those who belong to Christ, that's the process that we go through on a daily basis of not ignoring, not rationalizing and minimizing, but saying, no, this, this is God, I'm sorry. I don't want this to be me. And allowing him to develop you, to, to grow you, to overcome the past of what that sin has done in your life and to give you a better future. For those who don't yet belong to Christ, that process is still significant and necessary in your life, but it begins from a different place of accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, of repenting of those sins and being baptized for the forgiveness of those sins, to through the blood of Christ, finding grace, and then beginning to live a life of repentance, a life of acknowledging where you fall short so that God can help you overcome those shortcomings. And then we begin repairing relationships. We begin working to build honesty and truth and trust, to work toward a more positive reputation through our behavior, Instead of living out the deception of how good we are, that we would live in the honesty of how good God is and all that he's done for us, all of the truth about how he has delivered us from sin and forgiven us of our past and set our feet on the path toward a better future. As we open up to others about how God is working in our lives, we become an example. We become a part of that message of hope that what God has done for us, he also will do for them. And that's the significance of this message, that, that we would be able, when we're living in truth and honesty, to demonstrate to others how the Lord can help them overcome their sin and live for him. Now, this message is significant to us as individuals. It also makes an impact on us as a church as we think about what it is to be honest and true, to, to live according to the truth of God's word and be so committed to that truth that we would never bend or break or be swayed or turned from it. When Paul wrote to Timothy, young preacher, he encouraged him about this role 
Here's what he said in 2 Timothy chapter 4. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Four. The time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. The world around us is eroding the idea of truth. Our culture would have people believe in a subjective truth. My truth, your truth, their truth. That depends on my perspective. That depends on my experiences. That depends on my feelings. And in that subjectivity, there can't be one absolute truth. Even in faith community, churches are watering down a message of truth, mixing cultural ideas, diluting the power of the message of the grace and love of God through Jesus Christ. Now, Paul wrote these words thousands of years ago to a young preacher about itching ears, people who were longing to have a voice validate what they wanted to hear. And he reminded Timothy of what he could do when he found himself in that situation, that he would need to keep his head, endure that hardship, to continue working, delivering the message of truth as an evangelist, and fulfill his ministry without fail. Paul pointed Timothy forward to that time that he could expect to see these things happening. We are living in this time. And we need to be committed to the absolute truth of the Word of God. Without bending, without breaking, without turning or swaying, standing, rooted in the truth of God's Word. And we do that by keeping our heads in all situations. By not getting upset distracted or frustrated, losing our cool, reacting to the provocation and sinking to the level of those who were engaging in arguments and tearing down people who disagree. We have to be careful to stand for truth consistently, living it every day in every aspect of our lives, reflecting the image of God in justice, in rightness, in fairness, in honesty, in truth, living for him. Not sometimes living for him, Honesty isn't a sometimes thing. You can, you can be honest most of the time and lie occasionally. You know what that makes you? A liar. That, that's the way honesty works. You're either completely honest or you're not. And what we're called to do is to live in the truth of God's word and to live in the reality of who we are in relation to, to that truth. To be so devoted to the Lord that it... it infiltrates every part of our lives that we not only would would be invested in the truth of his word but that we would say things that are true consistently that we would treat people fairly and honestly all the time and that we would live for him showing people what a difference he's made in our lives 
that our word that says, I belong to Christ, I'm a Christian, wouldn't be an empty title, but that we would back it up with our faithfulness, with our integrity, and with our service to his kingdom by living out this message in our lives. That's what a, the mark of maturity in a believer is. A commitment to be so consistently devoted to the truth of God's word that it's evident in the world around us, that no other truth would turn us away from it, that no other message, even though it's something we want to hear, no other message would turn us away from the truth that we need in the word of God. When Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, he described to them exactly what that maturity would mean for them. Here's what he said, beginning in verse 14 of chapter 4. Then we'll no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That's what maturity looks like for us as believers, that we would be so faithfully devoted to the truth of God's word that nothing would be able to move us from that foundation, that no, no wind of teaching would blow us off of that pedestal, that we would be anchored to the truth of God's word, that we wouldn't be distracted by the things that we want to hear. We wouldn't be distracted by the, the relativism of the culture and the world around us. We wouldn't be distracted by, by the things that we would, would, would desperately want to be true, but we would, we would be committed to the truth that we all need and that we would devote ourselves to living out that message of truth, of speaking in love the message that people need to hear, the message that Christ loves them and died for them that their lives can be made new, made whole, made complete in him. But that message must be spoken in love. That, that's what Paul is pointing the believers to, that as they grow in maturity, that they would consistently and continually speak the truth in love, that they wouldn't drop a bomb of, of truth and walk away while people recover from the devastating words that were spoken, but they would be present in the lives of people to, to speak truthfully and to care for those people as they allow that truth to change their lives. The truth is not always easy to hear. Truth can be painful. Well, when we love people, we refuse to lie to them, even to spare their feelings. When we love people, we, re we refuse to deceive them because we know that in the long run, it will only destroy our relationship. When we love people, we speak the truth in a loving way so that instead of turning them from the Lord, we help turn them toward the Lord. Would you join me in prayer? God, we, we want to thank you for the work that you do in our lives. We want to thank you for the message of truth that you have provided to us that builds us and grows us and draws us toward maturity in you. God, I pray that you would remind us of the significance of living for you always in every part of our lives, that we would consistently uphold the truth of your word, that we would honor your image, and that we would care for the people in our lives and draw them closer to you. God, we thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.